The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. What an incredible uh, message it is that God has given us, uh, that Jesus Christ has come specifically to pave the way for us to come to the living God, become his children. And we have been blessed by this work of Christ. And so we're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. The title of, this, of the message is, Why Was Paul Willing to Suffer for the Gospel? And uh, Paul did suffer for the gospel. In fact, if we were to take the time to turn to 1 Corinthians 11, we'd discover he suffered in ways that we knew nothing about. Uh, and it was all because of his love for Christ and for the fact that he took this, this assignment that Christ had given him so seriously. That is, to be a preacher of this glorious message, this good news that Christ has come into the world to save sinners like us but also to bring light. And he came to shed light on the truth of the gospel and how in our lives, because of who we are and our relationship with God, each one of you uh, has, is a result of the creation of God. Sometimes we say you were created in the image of God. And that's true. You, you bear the image of God because it was passed down to you from the original person, the human being who was created, and that was Adam and then Eve. And... Um, he was a little bit superior to Adam because she was formed from what God had already created in Adam. And uh, she had a, a, some very special things about her, I have discovered over the years. That my wife is, a, is much better than I am at displaying the image of God. And it all has to do with our attitude towards him. Um, and so what I want to do is read chapter 3. Of, of for the first 13 verses of Ephesians chapter 3 and, and listen to these words. This is Paul writing. He's writing from prison. He's suffering for the gospel. And so he's writing from prison and he's writing these words and he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of, of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. Now, if you remember when Paul was, uh, was called by Christ, he had a very dramatic call. I don't know anybody else has had this kind of call. He was on his way to arrest Christians, to throw them in prison because he hated the fact there were a group of people who believed that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. You, some of those names that you sang, you sang uh, he's, a, he's Messiah, which means he's the anointed one of God. He was sent for this task to save us. He's also called Emmanuel, God with us. When Jesus came into the world, God came into the world because Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And uh, all of this because of who he is. And so we, we celebrate him every week. The reason we gather together on Sundays rather than another day, uh, we, don't, we could meet any day, but Sunday, the thing about Sunday that's so unique is it's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. How could God ever die? Well, he became a man so that he could die in our place. And then he was resurrected. And so we celebrate his resurrection. Uh, and we also celebrate the fact that he came into the world to rescue us. And Paul goes on. Notice in, this, in the second verse, he says, I'm, in the first verse, he says, I came for the sake of you Gentiles. That's who he was sent to. Jesus sent him to Gentiles. That was absolutely 
strange to any Jew to think that if you could believe this guy is, a, is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, and you're telling me he sent you to Gentiles, you've got to be a liar. Because Gentiles are cursed, and they're outside the circle of God's blessing. And certainly he wouldn't send anybody to the Gentiles. By the way, you're all Gentiles, I think. Uh, and he says in verse 2, If indeed you have heard the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. Stewardship is, is a role that you play to disseminate or distribute the, the blessings of the person who wants to give them. So in a household, for example, a householder would have a steward in the household who would distribute all of his, the food and clothing and everything that he provided for them. And Paul says, I was given a stewardship by God. He wanted me uh, to distribute the grace of God for all those that, that I come in contact with. That I, that I come, you know what coming in contact with, that is like you're walking down the street, you run into another human being, and you say hello. And maybe you strike up a conversation. And this is, this is how the gospel has spread for 2,000 years. It's spread by people walking around, <laughs> living their lives in, on the face of this globe, and because they know Jesus Christ, when they meet a stranger, they immediately become somebody that they want to talk to. And they want to tell them about this glorious gift that perhaps that person has never heard, is that the Father sent his Son into the world to save us. And he says, then he goes on, he says, that by revelation it was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. The mystery that he's talking about, the biblical word for mystery doesn't mean like a murder mystery. A mystery is something that was, 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 in, was secret before, but now it's made known. And God wants to make it known. Now, there's a mystery in this text that this is what this text is all about, is God wanted to reveal this mystery. The mystery, I might as well tell you, is this, that there's a way for, God is going to provide a way for Gentiles, for every, every citizen of this earth to come to the living God and become part of his family and experience the blessings that he has provided for all those that come to him through faith in Christ. He says in verse 4, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Let me, let me just mention, we, we talked about how Paul was sent by Christ. Remember, he was given a stewardship to go and take the gospel. He's going to disseminate the grace of God by preaching the gospel and by revealing the truth of the gospel and all that it means. Now, the gospel, it means good news. You only have good news when something new has happened, right? And so Christ gave Paul a stewardship to disseminate this grace to people as they pass through life in this world. And guess what? You've been given the same assignment. We're all ambassadors of Christ, we are told by Paul. And so we have this, this glorious privilege of talking to people about the living Christ. And... Um, I remember reading this story of when the gospel went to Uganda, and one of the most amazing things about it was these people got this message, and everywhere they went, if they, if they ran into another person, they stopped and talked to them, and they would talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. That's kind of radical, isn't it? But that's what he's called us to do. Some of us came to Christ uh, through the testimony of someone that we met for the first time. 
And they started telling us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe at first you thought they were a little bit loony. You know, why would they? It's like somebody, you know, wants to talk to you about stuff that they love and you have no interest in it at all. The only, and so what God did was he sent the Holy Spirit to convince hearts of the truth of the gospel. So you're not just spouting a bunch of facts to people. You are communicating God's heart message, what he wants people to know. And so that he sent the Spirit into the world to open their eyes to that truth. So every time we talk to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, we can know that the Spirit is at work. And he is bringing this message to bear on hearts. He says in verse 5, which in another generation, that is this mystery of Christ. Now, we'll tell you, I'll tell you in a minute what the mystery of Christ was. He says, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. To be specific, here's the mystery, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise of Christ in Christ Jesus through the gospel. In other words, he says the mystery was that God hadn't let them know yet, this was hidden, that there was going to be a way for them to be brought to this living God and be in relationship with him, be in the family, be family members of the family of God. And, and you didn't have to be a Jew. Now that had, you never have struggled with that, no doubt, but back before the coming of Christ, it was well known that the Jews were set apart from everybody else. Whether you believe that they actually knew the true and living God or not is something else. But they believed they could not come to the God of Israel. Now they've learned that he is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and that God has provided a way that we can come to know the true and living God who was the God of Israel. And he said, I was made a minister of this according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all saints, that grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. In other words, the mystery was this was what Christ was going to do, but they didn't know it yet. They were totally oblivious to it. But he gave Paul the responsibility to disseminate this mystery. But wait a minute, Paul hated Christ, and he hated people who followed Christ. In fact, he was on his way to arrest these people who followed Christ and claimed him to be the Messiah that had been promised from Genesis 3. And he went to arrest Christians. And guess what happened? He was going to arrest Christians who followed Christ, and Christ met him on the road. You remember that? Christ meets him on the road and strikes him down because of the bright light that emanates from him because he is the living God. God is light. And so here he is. He finds himself ensphered in this light and he falls to the ground and his eyesight seems to be damaged. He can't see. And so there were those who were there with him and they took him and God actually speaks to them and tells them where to take him. Take him to Sutter Hospital. No, it was a different place. Take him to this follower of Jesus' home and tell him what happened. And so he does. And guess what? Jesus Christ heals his eyesight and gives him his eyesight back. And so Paul is kind of stunned because he thought Jesus was a fraud. He thought he was a fake. And he turns out to be the eternal son of God who has come into the world. 
and his eyesight is restored. And Jesus speaks to him. He says, I'm going to give you an assignment. Your assignment is to be the steward of the grace of God. It's to make sure that this message is disseminated. It's given out. It's given to people. This word uh, stewardship, if you remember in 1 Peter 4, when Peter's writing to Christians, he says, this is what God's done for you. He has given you a gift so that you can be a good steward of the manifold grace of God. You can disseminate it. You can live it, and you can talk about it, and you can explain it to people. And God has given you a, a spiritual gift to empower you to do that in some way. He goes on, verse 10, to, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. You probably didn't even know that as a church, part of our responsibility is to live in such a way that spirit beings can look at us and say, look at those people, they're following Christ. They're acknowledging Christ. They're bowing down to the living Christ whom we've known about for a long time. And now he's a, he has appeared to them through the gospel. He says this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose is all wrapped up in Jesus. In the ninth chapter of Hebrews that you heard, if you heard those words, he says, but now once at the end of the ages, the end of the ages is a word soon teleai, which means there's a two words, soon and teleai. Teleai means perfected or coming to its completed purpose and end, and soon means together. And what he's saying there is everything that exists has come together at this point when Jesus died for our sins. Jesus purchased us. Now, maybe you didn't come to faith until very recently, but the fact is your entire life, before you were born, we're told in Romans chapter 5 that God's great demonstration of his love towards you is he sent his son and he died for you in eternity past, in the mind of God, and in the first century, in our experience in this world. And now the news has come to you. All of you who are believers, is because you heard the news. You heard someone proclaim the truth of God's testimony about his son. He told this story. I sent my son into the world so that he could rescue you, so that he could redeem you, so you could sing songs about him, that he's a redeemer, and he has purchased you with his own blood. Now, that whole thing about the covenant, you notice he goes back and forth defining a covenant, using the covenant like a, we would use the word will in Testament. It was, it was like an inheritance. A man has to die before his inheritance is passed on. In fact, the, the, the strange thing about the story of the prodigal son was the prodigal son wanted his inheritance now before his father died. He wanted his money uh, Steve Green wrote a song that opens up by saying, I don't want your money, I want your life. I don't care about your money, I want your life, I want you to come to me and become a part of my family, receive salvation as a gift. This is what glorifies God, this is the wisdom of God. Now you might think, well that's not very wise of God, that he would give up his own son in order to save a bunch of people who will never appreciate it like they should. God says, no, that's my wisdom. In fact, uh, in, in a real sense, this is strange, but in a real sense, when you look around the room of a bunch of believers gathered together, you're looking at the, the results of the wisdom of God. Isn't that amazing? Wives, look at your husband and realize they're, they're, they are the wisdom of God, the results of God's wisdom. 
And you think, well, man, couldn't they, couldn't he have done a little better? <laughs> no, this is, we are trophies of grace. We're all re- recipients of grace, God's unmerited favor. He gave himself to us through Christ. And so now we have this relationship with him. So that the, the wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. But look at this. He's, we're going to make it known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenlies. That is spirit beings. All these spirit beings who know about the glory of God are going to be shown the glory of God in his grace towards us. He has redeemed us and he has saved us and he has forgiven us. I think that's one of the most amazing things to me that he's forgiven me and forgiven me and forgiven me and forgiven me. And I suspect he's done the same to you. That's the wisdom of God. Glorious wisdom. He says, and, and the neat thing is when he sent this, he sent his son in order to purchase us, but he sent his spirit to make this message known to us. And probably you went a long time, many years before you discovered and found out through someone proclaiming the gospel to you that this is what God has done. That 2,000 years ago, Christ came into the world and he died for sinners, which is us, so that we could be saved and made whole and brought into a relationship with God. He says in verse 11, this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. This wasn't a last-minute thought. This was the eternal plan of God. You, are you suggesting that God knew me in eternity past? No, that's what Paul suggests in the very beginning of this book, remember? The, this is this God receives all blessings because he, we, we were blessed with every spiritual blessing in, in Christ in the heavenlies. According as he has chosen us before the foundation of the world. I know a lot of people get really upset about this doctrine that God chose us in eternity past. It's called election. Um, shame on you. Why would you get angry because God set his love on you before you were anything at all? Why would you get upset about that? Well, the reason you get upset about it is because you think you should be in charge. See, that's, that's the very essence of sin. We think we should be in charge. And we don't like it when people start talking like God's in charge. Well, you know, he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. And he has power and authority over everything he's created, including you. Even if you don't like it, don't act like it. There's a lot, a lot of people, every person you know that lives as though God doesn't exist is rebelling against a God who created them for a relationship with him. The greatest privilege in all the world, isn't it? There's absolutely nothing like it that, to know that we have a relationship with a living God and that he actually cares about us. The writer of Hebrews tells us we can come to him anytime and we can speak freely. I can actually tell him the truth. You know how it is that you are under obligation. You know how it is in, a, in the world is that you, when you meet people and talk to people, maybe going to a family gathering of some kind, and you've got you've to act a certain way that's contrary to who you really are. You've got to act like something. Parents tell their kids that. Don't forget who you are. You're representing our family. And what they mean by it is uh, play act. You know, you're not all that great, but act like you are. Act like you are really something to be admired because you're representing our family. But God says, I know who you are, and I love you. And I, I set my love upon you in eternity past. And I sent a messenger, 
a messenger like Paul to proclaim the truth of, of, of the gospel, the good news that my son has come into the world. Now notice how he goes on. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his grace. We couldn't, we couldn't give you a definition that would satisfy uh, the reality of what it means, his, the glory of his grace. That's just beyond our ability even to describe his grace, because it's, his grace is his gladly giving himself to you. And he says, so I pray for you that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, which means to settle down and feel at home. You ever think Christ has been uncomfortable in you at certain events in your life? He says he'll do this through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints of all ages what is the breadth and length, and height, and depth. You get that? He says, my spirit's coming, and he is going to work in your heart so that you can come to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, that is, how wide is it, and the length, how long is it, the height, how high is it, the depth, how deep is it? How do you measure the grace of God? I, I get a kick out of us because we are the remnants of our fallenness is we would rather brag about how much worse off we are than, the, than our neighbor than to say, isn't it amazing what he's made us? Isn't it amazing that he's given us this gift of life and he's made us stewards of the grace of God to dispense into one another's lives and to dispense the grace to unbelievers by telling them the good news, what has actually happened. Well, he goes on, he says, we may, may we be able to comprehend this. And then he says, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to, be far, to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. <laughs> he could do beyond all you could ask or think. So, you, you know, we get the thing in our prayer life is really cool. We, uh, we're praying three times a day now. And man, we're, we are coming to the word and we're learning all these things about God. He says, you, you don't even have a clue of how great his love for you is. Isn't it amazing how you begin to feel God's angry with you because you've not done well the last week or the last day or the last minute? You have failed miserably and you're thinking that God, now I'm going to have to win his love back. I'm going to have to act as, in a way that he would begin to love me again. That's balderdash. That isn't truth. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, even when I have fallen and failed miserably as a believer, as his child, he does not diminish his love for me. And he doesn't increase his love when you do good. And you think, well, why shouldn't I do good then? Because he's so wonderful. Because your relationship with him is the most important thing in all of life. And so you want to be obedient to him because you want to demonstrate to him how much you love him and how much you enjoy your relationship with him. It's a, what a heartbreaker it is in, in family life when a, a child abandons the family and basically is saying to the family, you know, I'm getting tired of this whole atmosphere. I'm getting out of here. I'm going to go find me some real joy out there in the world. I can live with some people who really know how to treat me. <laughs> That's a description of the depth of our depravity how far from God we are, and he loves us. 
and he loves us. Isn't that amazing? So he says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Well, this chapter is amazing because it's telling us about something that none of us probably have ever talked about, about the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is how that for a long time, people that followed Christ didn't understand the mystery. That yes, he was hidden from the world before, but now he is being made known. And that those inside and outside of Israel can come to experience all the blessings that God had been teasing them with, in a sense, for centuries. But now the door has been opened. The door has been opened. A, a person from any tribe or tongue or nation can be brought into this place of blessing. They can be brought into the family of God. And so what the reason that, that Paul was willing to suffer for the gospel is he discovered that he was a steward of this mystery that God had given him. And in 1 Peter 4.10, it says all of us have been given uh, a ability to live life in the body of Christ so that we are stewards. I hope you got what a steward is. A steward is a person within the household that's been assigned by the master of the household to dispense what he's providing for his household. So God wants us, each one of us, to use the gift that he's given us. And Paul, all Peter tells us, he doesn't give us a big list of gifts. He says, you either have a speaking gift or you have a serving gift. You, you probably know the difference when you meet believers and you watch them for a little while. And you can see that this one guy here, he's constantly saying stuff that's really edifying and everything. But then this person over here is constantly in motion, serving, wanting you to experience the joy of having a life and relationship with Christ. And so this stewardship he's talking about was his stewardship and disseminating the grace of God in the form of the gospel. Who preached the gospel to you? Where did, who did you hear the gospel from? Think about that for a second. Do you remember? That person was a steward to preach. His, his responsibility was, in your case, in this relationship, to tell you about the good news. And what was new? Well, here's what's new according to this book, according to Ephesians 3, the rest of the book, in fact, is that something incredibly massive has taken place. You heard about it in, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. Now once at the end of the ages, the high point of the ages, the crucial moment in the ages, everything before it was leading up to it, everything after it flows out of it. And this is how he describes it. The, the, this 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 suntelii, this, this moment that something glorious has happened. And he says, at the, at the high point of all the ages, he was manifested, which means he came into the world, to put away sin. Don't you like that? To put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Not hide it. I can hide it, and you can hide it. It's not hiding your sin. What he did was, he put it away. It's out of the picture. It's no longer in... It's no longer in existence. It's been forgiven by God. It's been sent away because Jesus Christ paid the full and complete penalty for your sin. Now, it's the reason that some Christians, when they hear about it and know about it, it will affect them emotionally. Now, the reason it affects you emotionally is because you were created in the image of God and God has emotions. If you ever hear somebody tell you that God doesn't have emotions, you should just kind of cluck your tongue and go, well, he's... He hasn't read the Bible yet. 
God takes great joy. We're told in the book of Jude that when Jesus presents us to the Father, when he's finished conforming us to his image, he's going to present present us to the Father with joy. And it actually means singing psalms. We're going to be singing with great joy. He's going to be singing with great joy. And it's okay if you want to just stop right there as he's presenting you to the Father and just watch the display of his joy and enjoy it. Go ahead. Because it's a glorious event. He's, he's finished the task with us. He's conformed us into his image, and now he's presenting us to the Father as a gift to the Father. So his first task was to preach, to proclaim the good news. The second was to, was to bring to light the truth of the gospel to the world. Now, to bring the light, we, I often quote Second uh, Corinthians 6, 4, or 4, 6 it is. I'm going to get this straight. It's Second it's Corinthians 4, 6, and it says that God sent the Holy Spirit in order that he might cause the light of the glory of God to sh- in the face of Christ to shine in your hearts. That means when somebody's telling you about, about Christ, the Spirit, when he comes in this kind of power, he opens your eyes to the glory of this person you're hearing about, and you want to know more. You want to know more. And finally, you'll come to the place where you gladly and comfortably Rest completely in him. You rest in him. You put all your weight upon him. You say, this is, my, this is the one that I needed all along. I needed him. He's the one who makes me right with God. He's the one who restores me and makes me what I was created to be, which is a child of God. A child of God. That's why that song, uh, I'm no longer a slave of fear. I am a child of God. That's the reason that makes sense. When you became a child of God, you got set free from being a slave to fear. There's nothing to fear in reality because you have this relationship with a living God. My dad always made me feel like I was safe when I was with him. He was one of those guys. He was, he was pretty big, and he was tough. One time, a guy from the Raiders used to come down and hang around his business and, and talk to him, and they would arm wrestle. And I don't know if this guy, it was Fred Williamson. You remember him? Fred Williamson. I don't know if he was doing it just to entertain me, but every time my dad beat him in arm wrestling, I thought he was the strongest man in the world. But what that did to me, it made me so comfortable when I was with him because he could protect me. Well, God is protecting his children. You're in his arms, so you're no longer a slave of fear. You're a child of God. It means you're, you're one whom the Father is watching out for. It's the reason you don't have to have anxiety. And so Paul in Philippians says, when you're, when you're having anxiety, stop it and tell God what it is that's making you anxious, anxious and give him thanks and let him settle this anxiety in your heart. He'll guard your heart and make you not anxious. They say that in the United States, this is the biggest desire that all of us have is to not be in situations that we get anxious about, not fear that we're losing everything we have or maybe just the one most important thing or something. You see, um, I, don't, I don't know what it would be to live in fear of losing my wife. She's the most... Uh, obviously the most precious thing that God has ever given me in this human life. 
And I can't imagine spending my days worrying. You know, because there's a lot of reasons for her to kind of get sick and tired of me. <laughs> I understand that. And I kind of I try to hide it from her. Uh, I try to display these things that she doesn't like uh, out of her sight. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But isn't it wonderful to know that God is protecting you? And that we can we rest in him. It's not we we rest in the fact that we're so powerful we can protect our stuff. We rest in God. We're child we're children of God. And so we put our hope and trust in him. What he says in that that verse is that we should make our we should tell God what it is that's causing us anxiety. And we should rest in his ability to protect us that we are absolutely secure in him. And so here Paul is, is telling us about this thing. When he was on Mars Hill, do you know what Mars Hill is? Mars Hill was the place where all the philosophers would go and discuss what they thought was truth in Athens. And so Paul went there. In Acts 17.30, listen to what he says to them. He's talking to, the, to men who were believed to be the wisest men on earth. And this is what he says. He says, therefore... Having overlooked times of ignorance, that's what, it, that's what was going on when, this, when the mystery of Christ was still being kept secret. That is, he's going to purchase salvation for all who receive him. And he says, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed being, being furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. It's the reason we can rest and trust in his work as being fulfilled and completed and successful. I don't know if you've ever feared of that. I've had people talk to me where they, would, they feared of the, of the fact that perhaps the death of Christ wasn't enough because they were special sinners. They were especially bad, they realized. And how could God possibly forgive them? That's what, uh, if you remember, Calvin that came and speak, spoke for us, shared his testimony with us. He was in prison for many years. And uh, when I was talking to him, that's basically what happened to him. He got to feel like, there's no way God could save me. I've got, my whole life is about rebellion. My whole life is about sin. I've been in every prison in California. But what he discovered was, finally, God sent someone, and he sent the Spirit to assure his heart. He came to faith in Jesus Christ. I just heard of another young man that I, I've known for since he was a little bitty boy, and he became a hell's angel, and he got arrested at that thing down way down south, by Palms or beyond that, way down in south at a casino. He got he got arrested and put in prison for a long, long sentence. And we had known him as a little boy. He used to go with us to to uh, to camp meetings. If you know, you don't know what a camp meeting is, I can tell by your look on your face. They were great times, and we'd always take him or, or his brother. Well, this kid turned so bad. His life turned so bad. It was just a life of crime and, and destruction. And God came to him through someone, and he believed the gospel, and he became a, a child of God, a follower of Jesus Christ. And so they just had his baptism a few weeks ago. A guy was telling me that didn't know me and didn't know that I knew him, and he was telling me about this guy they just baptized and what a bad record he had and how he came to rest his faith in Jesus Christ. And he was identified with Christ by submitting to baptism. 
and he's, and he's basically saying, I'm putting all of my trust in him. I'm putting all my hope in Jesus Christ. I'm not putting my hope in how tough I am or what I can or can't do. I'm putting my trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because he died for me. And his dying for me was good enough to save me from sin and destruction and give me life eternal. And see, this is what Paul's talking about, that God gave him the stewardship to go and tell the whole world. So when he's talking to these, these men on Mars Hill, he says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance. The times of ignorance was when people didn't know the word was not out about the coming of Jesus Christ and how he had paved a way and opened a way that any person who believed on him could, be, could enter into the kingdom of God and have their sins forgiven and have an eternity with God. But he says, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent. That just means to change your mind and turn to God because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world, those who refuse to believe on his son through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men and raising him from the dead. How do I know that God accepted the death of Jesus Christ as payment for my sins? Because he raised him from the dead. You know, every, every week we're going to take the Lord's Supper in a minute, uh, or maybe 10 minutes, something like that. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. But that is proclaiming every time we come together on a, the first Sunday of the month, we break bread together, and we are celebrating the fact that the Savior has come, and he has died for our sins, and he's been raised from the dead, and he is able and qualified and alive to save even me. Isn't that wonderful? He can save even me. And so he was, if you, if you listen to chapter 4, over, just turn over to chapter 4 for once. I'm sorry, it is in chapter 3, but it starts at verse 4. Listen to this, verses 4 through 10. He says, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Why was this hidden? He says, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy, through his holy apostles. That's what he was, an apostle. All that means is somebody sent. He was sent by Christ. And so he's a sent one by Christ, personally sent by Christ. And it was made known through the holy prophets and or the holy apostles and the prophets. So it's been revealed in the scriptures, but now Paul has come to announce it personally. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was shocking news to the Jews because they thought they were the only ones who could ever have a relationship with God. And they didn't know it was going to be through Jesus Christ. He says, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God, of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace. He thought he was least of all the saints because he had persecuted Jesus and he had persecuted his followers. He made life miserable for them. He says, I was, this grace was given to me. I'm, I'm the least worthy of, to do this that there is. But this grace was given to me to preach the, to the Gentiles, the unfathomable. You know what unfathomable is? That's when you can't find the bottom of the... You know, you're out in a boat, and they, they're plumbing the depths, and they can't find the bottom. They can't find out how deep it is. He says, these are unfathomable riches of Christ. We can talk and talk and talk, and we can try to tell you how good it is, but we, we just can't reach the depth of it. It's deeper and greater than we can imagine. 
and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which how is this going to be worked out? How is this mystery going to be finally revealed? Had been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and to the authorities in the heavenly places, that is, the angels and spirit beings. He says, This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and and confident access. Did you notice something? He didn't reveal this truth of salvation by grace through faith until Jesus had come, because he wanted Jesus to be the center of the tension. He wanted his son to be the one who's glorified. If you notice all those songs we sing about the glory of Christ, we sing about his glory because God wanted him to be glorified. He wanted him to be known, accepted, and worshipped as the object of his glory. He sent his son so that his son could reveal who he really was. You know who Jesus really was? He was the one who loved you so much he died on the cross. He loved the Father so much he went to the cross. And he loved you so much that he set his love on you before, while you were a sinner, he died on the cross. Some of you don't remember when you were a sinner. Well, let me say, you can take it by faith, you still are, except your sins have been forgiven. But you still have the ability to sin, that is, to fall short of what God has commanded you. I fall short of it all the time because some of these commandments, I mean, imagine Jesus says, love your enemies. Love, uh, you, you are to love those who hate you. You are to help those who want to hurt you. Isn't that crazy? See, that's only, that, can only be, that can only happen. It only makes sense if Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God, if he really is in charge. I, I always feel like I need to tell you what a king really is because we don't have a king. We have a guy who thinks he's a king, but we don't have a king. A king is someone who is in absolute authority. He is sovereign over everything. He can tell you what to do. And you have to submit to it. That's who Jesus is. And so uh, we can have boldness and confidence, confident access by faith in prayer because of Jesus. Because he has accomplished his work, he's gone back to the Father, he sits at his right hand, and he's going to sit there until every enemy has made his footstool. That his absolute, total, complete authority is going to be clear. You know, a lot of people think that what we're talking about when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about somebody who would like you to obey him. But you don't have to. And it's no big deal. What the Bible says is, if you're not obeying him, you're in sin. Sin is different than just wrongdoing. Sin is when I rebel against the one who is in authority. And the only one in authority is God himself and his son. He says, therefore, I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulations. Don't lose heart in my tribulations. Yes, I'm suffering, but I'm, I'm willingly suffering because of what it means for me to be appointed as a preacher of the gospel and a revealer of the truths of the gospel. I, I, I preach it, and the Spirit of God opens their eyes, and they see it. Have you ever been a part of a, of a, a church or a, a movement, a fellowship of believers, where you just saw one person after another coming to faith in Christ? You, you couldn't even count them. It was just, it was mind-boggling. What's going on? Well, what's going on is the will of God. That's what's going on. Sometimes God does that. And we see this great in gathering. How many got saved on the day of Pentecost? There was 5,000? It was at least 5,000, wasn't it? 
It was more, actually, but it was at least that. How in the world does that happen? God. God's able to save people. Some of you have people that you love dearly, and they have no evidence that they care to know about Christ. They don't seem bothered by it. They don't seem encouraged by it or anything. And you're almost about to give up. You know, at least made stop praying. You've, you've, asked, you've had, said that prayer so many times, and it's never happened. And then God, then God moves, and then God comes, and he exerts his mighty power. You know, he can humble the proudest person in the world. And every once in a while, we hear about revivals, and what we mean by that typically is a great gathering of people to come to Christ in faith. And we're amazed by it. And we think, wow, I want to go hear that preacher. He must be incredibly, he must be incredible. It's not that. It isn't that. It's the big thing a preacher have to do, according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians 1, is that we just have to kind of get out of the way and let God display his glory in our midst. And he will save people. He will save people that we would never assume would come to faith in Christ. I, I would, I'm really tempted to start talking about people that I know, I know how you came to faith in Christ and all that, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to restrain myself. But I, I do. I know people right here. I could pull them up here and say, tell us how you came to faith in Christ. And you would go, wow, that is amazing, isn't it? What an amazing God. Not an amazing person that got saved, but an amazing God who knows how to save the least. He's able to save people. He's able to get a hold of their heart and open their eyes and let them see the truth of who he is and what he has done for them in Christ Jesus. So we have been blessed with this incredible blessing of being a part of this bringing in. We're one of those. Let me read to you Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. It says, and they sang. This is in heaven. And it says, they sang a new song saying, this is the words of that new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals and that, what that means is a, a, scroll, a scroll was an important document rolled up like this. And if it was a de- title deed to a piece of land, this is what they would do. It's a legal document. They would put a little seal every time they wound it. So there'd be a seal here. They would wind it, another seal here, another seal here, and so forth. So there were seven seals on this particular document. And it could only be broken one at a time as they unraveled it. Then it would be broken, another one would be broken, until it was finally open. And what that was picturing was these things coming to, to be, these truths that are revealed to us in the book of Revelation. And so it says here in the fifth chapter, verse 9, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slain. This is talking to Jesus, right? You were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from, and women too, by the way, from every tribe and tongue, and people, and nation. Every category you can think of. People from every category you can think of. And we, we don't need to be surprised when we travel halfway around the world and we run into somebody who is clearly a follower of Jesus because he is saving people from every tribe and tongue and nation. So we have a message that's appropriate for wherever you go. You plan on going to Belize or something on vacation? It's, that's an appropriate place to preach the gospel. Now, you might get thrown off the boat or something, you know, but it's an appropriate place because there are people there who need Christ, and Christ died for people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so this hidden message 
that a day was coming when the gates would be opened and people from every tribe and tongue and nation could become a part of the people of God. It's amazing, isn't it? To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.